swagger, okay? Regardless of what happens out there, doesn't matter. Keep your swagger. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We're your hosts today, TJ and Raj. Hey there. So Zach is on vacation, Punta Cana, baby, hanging out on the beach, not podcasting. I brought my uh, my setup down here to Virginia just because there's nothing fucking else to do. It's not like I'm looking at palm trees and beaches and, you know, dot, dot, dot. But uh, anyway, we're Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. Today, we're talking about our divisional previews. We're actually, this is the last one. So we're going to finish up. We're talking Dallas, Nashville, Winnipeg, St. Louis. You guys can find us on Twitter at FHF Hockey. You can hop in the Fantasy Hockey Discord. We got two mock draft episodes coming up. They're going to be Sunday night. They're going to be Monday night. That's 10 p.m. Eastern time. I think Monday is our Cats draft and Sunday is our Points draft. And I believe it's the first of its kind for Fantasy Hockey. Raj and I are going to take the helm and we have a 10-minute timer. This allows us to spiel and talk shop about strategy instead of trying to rush it into 45 seconds or, you know, one minute. Panic picks everywhere. Yeah, panic picks and like trying to justify your pick with 30 seconds doesn't make a ton of sense. So we're going to have that time allotted for us to talk strategy, different avenues that we might be talking about or something like that. And uh, everybody else in that time can juggle their auto cue. So it's not just, you know, Yahoo rankings or Fantrast rankings that are that are pumping down the ADP. It's uh, it's real life people. If you guys are interested in participating in a mock draft episode, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up in the discord. We'd love to have you. We need smart people that are 100% available to make it and are okay with 100% auto drafted picks. You can have a queue and you can play out of your queue, but we need you to be auto draft. We can't have a 10 minute, you know, timers running out on the episode. All right. So one more shill. We got listener leagues. If you guys are interested, we have a $2 a month option on our Patreon page, all the profits of which are going to Mental Health America. So we're going to donate any money that we would have made on these leagues as like a podcast or a Patreon page. Everything we make goes to Mental Health America. Pretty stoked about it. Let's get to the content, man. You want to start off with Winnipeg? It's a interesting, interesting lineup to look at. I think it's solid. Like they have a they have a pretty bitch in top six. Yeah, I think they they do. What I do like a big deal is their D. It was a couple simple moves. Looks a lot more stable. Yeah, I feel good about Hellebuck. Yeah, I mean Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, like a couple of those guys. Not not huge game breakers, but like Nate Schmidt is a solid all around player, and that's what Winnipeg was kind of lacking. Is just a, a little bit more D depth. Uh, and that's gonna trickle upwards. Yeah, I think there's plenty there. Uh, what I've been noticing about Hellebuck in the ADP is he's typically a second round pick, still a second round pick, but there's two other goalies that are going ahead of him in the second round, Darcy Kemper and Robin Leonard. What do you think about that? Like Hellebuck for the last, what, five years has been the second goalie off the board. And now we have two, I mean, Kemper is, yeah, he's new or at least in a new spot, but Leonard played for Vegas. He's just getting a workhorse load now. Uh, what do you think? Like, is that is that top four accurate to you? For goalies, yeah, I do actually. Um, 
I'd still probably, well, I don't know. I'm putting Leonard number two this year as a projection. I absolutely am putting Leonard number two just because of the workload, given his attitude and a real chance to prove that he can do it finally. Like he's going to be a workhorse. I'm putting him slightly ahead of Hellebuck, but I think Hellebuck's right there. They're my top three for sure. Okay, so you got Kemper number four, I'd bet. Uh, Yeah, but I think he's also slightly threatened more than Hellebuck or any of the others, right? Yeah. And him being good because of the opportunity in the team, it's not really him where I think these other guys have both going for him. Although, I mean, that's the only thing about Hellebuck is I don't think Winnipeg's amazing anymore. Like, I don't. I don't. They're good. They're good. They're good. They're not Vegas good, though, I don't think. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Uh, so I guess that cover is pretty much Hellebuck. He is going to get volume. I mean, if we're talking the whole top four and their backups, you got Vasilevsky and Brian Elliott. And you got Robin Leonard and Laurent Brossois, Darcy Kemper, Pavel Francois. And I do see what you mean by, you know, Darcy Kemper might be the only one being challenged because Francois, when he did play, was pushing for 50% of the starts. So that coupled with the fact that maybe you don't want to run Kemper into the ground could start chewing into Kemper's starts. So I like that. I think that's a pretty solid top four. Yeah, I mean, who does Hellebuck have chasing him? Comrie or uh, that's it? Yeah, Eric Comrie. Which is, you know, uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to be much of a challenge. And Hellebuck has proven year in and year out he can handle whatever workload they need. So why why bother? Watch out for Mikhail Burden. He's coming one of these days. I want to talk about Mark Shifley. First and foremost, probably the first, maybe Kyle Connor. One of those two is probably going to be the first off the board for the Winnipeg Jets in terms of skaters, because I do think, you know, Hellebuck, probably the first top target. Shifley, probably the most consistent fantasy hockey player ever, dude. Like point pace over the last five years, 82, 84, 84. He had 92 this past year. But when whenever I see a stat that happens inside the COVID season, that's a little bit off. I, you know, I heavily salt any opinion that I that I have about that i don't like to make decisions based on you know shifley saw what six opponents all year so i'm not i'm not calling him above point per game yet but or maybe not that heavily above point per game because he has been 82 84 84 in the past three years outside of this last year shots on goal per game 2.0 2.1 2.4 2.4 2.3 there's a little bit of variance in hits and faceoff wins but the guy is providing some of the sturdiest, most reliable stats in the game. Dude, I, I don't know. Like, Shifley, I said the same thing about Couturier, and I feel like these guys are just rock-solid, safe bets. Yeah, uh, Shifley usually ends up being a good value, too. He's just he's not exciting anymore. Like, when he was younger, he was kind of an exciting guy to, to pick up, but now he's just like, you're like, I know what I'm getting. There's no <laughs> yeah. real... Yeah. I don't think there's an upside or a floor. I think there's only a median with him. And that's Dude, just... the floor is 82 points <laughs> and the ceiling's 84. Yeah. yeah. But I think he's just like you count on probably point per game and power play points and, and a bit of a bit of the rest of it. You know, he actually gets a, a decent amount of hits and blocks for a forward, not amazing but enough to contribute to a categories league so i think there's plenty to be said like he could he could wind up being you know 90 plus thinking about uh blake wheeler now both of his 91 point seasons he had like 
30 plus power play points. And then, you know, he's a 75-ish point player on either side of those 91-point seasons. And the power play points took a huge dip. We're talking like 15 to 20 power play points that are just missing outside of the 17, 18, 18, 19. So just real quick on Wheeler, I, I don't think there is age decline. I don't think we're worried about it. I just think there was two years of like bogus power play success rather than a shift in the median. So, I mean, just to really quickly touch on Wheeler and bring it back to Shifley is if that power play point ceiling hits, that's adding to his totals. That's not like eating into his even strength totals or anything. That's adding to it. So I think there is 90 point upside for sure. And we saw a ceiling, but it was the weird COVID year. So maybe there's an interesting ceiling there, but I think, you know, the floor and the ceiling is we're talking like, you know, that Willy Wonka hallway. We're at the very end of it. The floor and the ceiling is so close together, but it's, it's a really nice floor. So I'm, I'm happy with Shifley in fantasy. <laughs> and his line mates aren't going to change probably. His power play crews, they never know what they're doing on defense, but their power play crew is basically the same. So I, I think, yeah, he should be just great. <laughs> yeah, his deployment's sturdy as hell too. Nobody's challenging for 1C. Nobody's challenging for a spot on the power play. So I love Shifley. Somebody that I'm super excited about is Nikolai Ehlers. And I want to preface everything about Ehlers by saying that power play two was absolutely insane last year. Their power play was nuts. Like Neil Pionk had more power play points than Josh Morrissey. And Morrissey was the QB one, Pionk QB two. Ehlers had 13 power play points. And I'm now I'm going to read you the rest of power play one. Shifley had 17 to Ehlers 13. Wheeler had 15. Kyle Connor had 13, same as Ehlers. And Paul Stasny, who I'm betting gets bumped down in favor of Ehlers, only had eight to Ehlers' 13. So I think he can beat Stasny out. But you got to also think that there's Pierre-Luc Dubois, who had kind of a down year, maybe adjusting. Who knows what was going on there? But, you know, it's one or the other on that top power play. And I'm putting my money on Ehlers, big time. I like Ehlers... Uh, on the first unit and unfortunately they are good enough with with their top six to have two like if they do go similar to what they did last year and have josh morrissey on the top one uh but then you have pionk who i think is a better power play quarterback but you have him on the second power play unit with pld andrew cop stastny and like lowry or whatever um, so they have then you have more like a 60-40 power play split. I like Ehlers on the top on the top unit for sure. Ehlers on the second unit would entice me to play closer to a 50-50 split for the power plays. When you put Ehlers up on that, that first power play, it looks like a very defined one and two. So I, I might even be betting on like 70-30, 65-35, but I think that top unit sees a good amount of time. Ehlers had an 80-point pace. Again, COVID year, so heavily salt the take from power play two. If if he gets power play one, I feel like the power play points stay about the same. Uh, pretty much on pace with Shifley, Wheeler, Connor, and Stasny. 80-point pace, man. Like Let's let's talk 75-point over-under. Maybe 72 points. Because I, I do feel like 70 is a good one, but I want to be somewhere in the middle. 72-point pace over-under on Ehlers. Where are you at? Damn. Uh, under. Really? Yeah. I think he, I'm thinking right around there, 70, 72. I'm, I'm going to bet the over, but I don't think it's going to be by much. 
because I feel like that's a really good line. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think that is a good line. I think it'll be close to that. Yeah, he he was just so good last year, and and even with the shortened shortened season, he had a few less games. I think he had like ten less games, maybe. And he also played two less minutes a game than Connor, and he was holding pace with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think his I think his per sixties are probably higher than Connor's actually. His per games about the same, but I think he was playing less minutes. So yeah, he, he he's. If he gets that deployment and if he gets that top power play, then I think I'll be wrong about the under. I want to get your take on PLD. I was way off going into this season, but I also had him pegged in Columbus. I had him in like the 60 to 65 range. He put up a 37 point pace. It was brutal. <laughs> brutal. It was... Does it, that it does, that's an understatement, heavy understatement. 41 games uh 20 points in winnipeg under half point per game yep he lost a lot of minutes he lost like three full minutes of total time on ice he was on power play two took 108 off his power play time on ice he was one c in columbus a pretty comfortable one c now considering like jack roslavic is your one c now he's a depth option in winnipeg so obviously the, the deployment took a hit is that like entirely to blame yeah, I think it was just a mess. Like, I don't think things ever really got settled. He had that weird quarantine when he got traded. Then he came into the lineup and he got hurt. And then he was like, it was just never quite right. And the situation where you've got Stasny as well, who's obviously a really good 2 or 3C, who can even play the top line if he has to. But I think they got to figure out a way to have PLD and Stasny on line two, um, maybe move PLD to the wing, maybe move Stastny to the wing. Um, I, I've never heard of PLD playing the wing much, but... If he goes dual eligible, that'll be fun. He's got to be in the top six to be something. I mean, if he's on if he's on the third line in Winnipeg, I just don't see him. I think he's kind of a big waste, and I think that awful pace we saw last year, like that should see a drastic improvement. So do you think he's a uh, value going into drafts because he has been going late. I think I got him in like 13th, 14th, 15th round or something in the, in the last mock. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially being a center only in Yahoo right now, I, it would have to, he would have to be my last center, you know, or yeah. in a league where there's like also skater positions or something. Yeah. I'd, I would want him to be late. I would want him to be like one of my later guys. Otherwise I'm just not going to risk it when you've seen that floor this recently (laughs) and i i looked up shots per 60 i think he was in like the 400s as far as uh, like where he ranked yeah 402 this is including all players so you know even drew o'connor who played 70 minutes the entire season uh, had more shots per 60 than pld if that means anything but yeah uh, tj oshi and pld were 0.01 shots per 60 away from each other with TJ Oshi ahead, actually, he's not been, he's not a volume shooter. He's kind of a stagnant shooter who, you know, he's got 18 minutes, which is where PLD was before he went to Winnipeg and lost time. That maxes him out at like 140, 150 shots. So I don't even know if he's got to take, he's got to take a step forward. He's got to get deployment. He's got to get more minutes. There's a risk baked into PLD going into next year, but if you're taking him late, he's going to be one of those guys that has decent upside, but also isn't like, you're not going to be, you're not going to feel guilty when you drop him. You know what I mean? 
one saving grace is he's always over a hit per game as well. You get a little bit of that, but I mean, he's that even not enough hits to be keepable just for hits. But. Yeah, if he's putting up like one point five shots and one point, I don't know, one or one point two hits, it's how much is really there? Uh, Josh Morrissey versus Neil Pionk. Morrissey they like because of his handedness. He opens up a one-time shot for Blake Wheeler on the power play. So do you think they stick with Morrissey? I mean, Pionk is pretty rad. I mean, in fantasy, there's no question. It's Pionk. I think what they like Morrissey for is, yeah, strategically his handedness is better, but also it does allow you to have a much more solid second power play. So... I think the the top power play would be better if he was on it, but I think just given the rest of the team makeup, uh, they'll probably keep Pionk quarterbacking PP2. I'm not a fan of that. Morrissey was only on pace for 13 power play points. That's that's not QB1 numbers, man. But the thing is, Pionk can kind of do it from PP2, where I think Morrissey isn't good enough to do it. Dude, Pionk had more power play points from power play two. Dude, I get like a grizzly vibe there. It's crazy. I just don't like him. I, I've come around on Pionk as a, as a a D, but I think a lot of people have. But his hits are crazy good. In fantasy, I can't bring myself to ever use Morrissey just on principle. <laughs> I really think we'll see uh, Pionk, unfortunately, continuing PP2. But that, I think it is something that'll switch up. It'll It'll probably switch up from time to time you know when they're gonna shake it up i think yeah i'm with you you know what i was thinking is i I think it's gonna be morrissey as qb1 just like you no i'm not gonna trust it at all for the entire year it could be game 81 and i'll still be like this is the one this is the game where pionk gets power play one back yeah but you know we we covered it plenty like pionk still provides value even from power play two yeah he's fantastic nashville nashville yeah here you go so let's talk about the goalies, man. Saros and Riddich. Where do you project the the ratio on this one? Well, I wish they would have called me um, before picking up Riddich. Yeah, I'm sure you have great things to say about the former Calgary Flame. I don't agree with him as a goalie, number one. But I, I, I wanted to see Saros be like... He's just kind of always been in the shadows the last few years and working his way up. I just wish... Like Riddich kind of says, like we don't quite trust you. That's that's what picking up Riddich says to me. I wish they would have went with some young guy or got a lesser backup, just on principle, give more load to Saros and go. Let's let's see what you really have. Sounds like you're pretty close to fifty fifty. I just think it's questionable. It kind of reminds me of last year when Holtby was in Vancouver and it just had Demko looking over his shoulder, even though it. He didn't have to. It's just one of those situations, I think. And I think Riddich is honestly kind of a not good, not good goalie. A big save, Dave. Yeah, but you also have to talk about the other like four shots that went in that game. <laughs> you know, and his his not super great anything. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I hope they really ride Sorrows hard because I think he's earned it. He's he's worked his way up. He's put in his time. I'd love to see it like. More of like a 65% for Soros. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I land is like 60-40. I do think Soros takes it. Soros has always put up good stats under John Hines, so he must like that system. He's just good. Like, he's just good. He is good. 
Yeah, he is good. Let's talk about Toll Vannon. Oh, boy. Your favorite Nashville Predator, man. Got a new bridge contract. Um, looks pretty solid. You know, do you think he's for real? Is he going to be at the discretion of Nashville's power play, much like he was last year? Like, he he breathed life into that power play. Yeah. And he feasted there. That was a, That was a buffet for him. In recent history, like just one of the most disappointing power plays that no one's been able to make work. And then in comes this kid, and he got all of the points on the power play. I think he's pretty for real. I've watched him a lot. I bought three hockey cards of his on eBay recently. <laughs> so there's no bias here, folks. No, not at all. But I mean, I well, fantasy-wise, he also hits a lot, which is great. The shots need to come up. I'm a little afraid of the shots, and I want to see more at even strength. Over 50% of his points were power play points. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More than 50%. Um, but they looked great. He looks good, and to me, he it's he just looks like a real player. When you watch him play, he doesn't look his age. He looks like fucking that's strong. Just, that's, that's called empirical data. Yeah, man. exactly. Empirical is a fancy word for the eye test, so I'm right there with you. So yeah, there's definitely some hope in there. Like it's definitely, he's got more to prove, but I really feel like uh, he's going to. Um, Kid's got a rocket. Yeah. He, he's like a little, I mean, by no comparison, but he is like a little Ovechkin, right? Like he's just throwing hits. He's power play. You know, hopefully he at least doubles his production. I'd like to see like 25 goals kind of thing. Yeah, he was on a 45-point pace. You double that, and we're talking 90-point pace. I think I'm definitely taking the under there. Well, yeah, no, I wouldn't put him, I wouldn't put him that high, but I just mean like <laughs> double his goal output, not not pace. Like get to about 25 goals, maybe like 60, 65 points kind of thing. But Yeah, I would be thrilled with 65 points, but I'm going to bet the under on that. I'll bet the under on 60. I think 50 points is, you know, 50 55 is about where I'd have him realistically. And then, you know, we have, we have the hits, hopefully the shots go up depending on how they deploy him. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Duchesne being on the top line and, uh, with Forsberg and Rijo. So maybe it's the second line with Mikhail Granlund and who knows, maybe Luke Kunin, maybe hopefully Philip Tomasino. Uh, but yeah, we'll that see. would be neat. Actually. The, I mean, and that is the the biggest downside to Tolvanen is just surrounding cast. It explains why he only scores on the power play. Yeah, I like Forsberg. Um, he's kind of a kind of a great line mate if you can get him. But like Rijo, Duchesne, Granlund, they're just the least exciting line mates. For they're decent players, but. Tolvanen is more of an exciting kind of guy. I would love it. I don't think it would happen, but I would love it if somehow it was like Tolvanen and Tomasino and a killer center, which they don't. Well, Tomasino plays center. Oh, maybe there you go. Maybe he. Maybe he's the guy. And real quick on Philip Tomasino, a lot of people uh, know that I'm in love with this kid. I am hitching my wagon to uh, his NHL success. And just for anybody that's curious, Philip Tomasino had 32 points in 29 AHL games last year as a 19-year-old. The only two 19-year-olds since 2015 who have scored more than that, William Nylander, Miko Rantanen. Um, and be below him is Jakob Vrana, Christian Fischer, Martin Nietzsche. I think this is, you know, I think he's going to be good. 
I wonder how it's going to come in. Uh, but I do think his name comes up at least once for the Calder. I don't think he wins it, but I think he at least gets himself in kind of like an ancillary. He's a satellite contestant, right? So plenty of bias there. So again, heavily salt. <laughs> Stay hydrated because it's a really salty episode. <laughs> well, we like our young guys on Nashville. I think we've established that. Exciting upsides for sure. Boring veterans. Yeah. So let's let's tackle a couple of these veterans. Uh, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson. I mean, do they suck? Is there any hope here? Like, what are what are we really, what are we realistically hoping for? Let's talk about hope, and let's talk about like expect. What do you hope for from Matt Duchesne? Better than a thirty-one point pace <laughs> would be be pretty fucking rad, man. Show up at least double that. You know, like if you're gonna call yourself a probably top line, definitely top six forward with the, his money yeah it's got to be it's got to be 60 65 points um but at what point do you just go yeah you're just not good anymore because that could be it also and again this the whole the whole lineup doesn't it hasn't felt good in years like just the makeup of the team regardless of of who they've had it just hasn't felt like a team in quite some time ever since basically unfortunately since Weber left it's kind of just been like chasing their tail ever since and uh, has been weird so I I don't expect much out of Duchesne because of just the way Nashville's felt it doesn't seem like why why would he come back to life right now i don't see any reason why things would change for him yeah there's nothing but people looking over his shoulder waiting to to snag that top line spot uh, i just don't feel good about it 31 point pace this year i don't buy that 52 point pace last year like i would be pleased if that happened and i think that would be a really good year for him so i kind of have him floating around that 50 point mark uh not too much not a ton of upside here like there was, oh man, he was his best in Ottawa. Like I really liked it. And, you know, ages ago in Colorado in like 2013 when he was, he was pretty dope, but I don't know. He's like a cicada. He comes up every 17 years, has a, has a fucking year and then hibernates, makes a lot of noise, you know, Ryan Johansson. Talk about Ryan Joe. Another guy. So I feel very similarly about, mm. Yeah, same boat to me. It's just like another why we, do you think things would change from what they've been? It's just pretty the low end of mediocre. <laughs> There's no ceiling here. Like he does not block. He does not hit. He does not shoot. He does not get points. I mean, he kind of pims and he just gets assists. And how are you going to get assists if your line mates aren't scoring and Forsberg's only healthy for 65 games a year? He has assisted in the past gets another guy we're a decade into his career on a not exciting team it's not like he's next to mcdavid or dry or something where you're like okay that makes sense maybe you'll maybe you'll have a resurgence all of a sudden but when you're out there with this lineup i just don't see those two guys changing much yeah they do seem stuck in their stuck in their ways i have like my optimistic take would be 50 points and i feel like i'd still bet the under Oh yeah, I'd be betting the under on that for sure. Just bring the kids, bring in the kids. This trickles down to Roman Yossi, who had a pretty weird year. I mean, you look at some of the point totals of the guys we've already talked about. I mean, Duchesne had a 
30, what, 31 point pace. Ryan Johansson, where do you have 38 point pace? Yeah, man. Like how, if, if you're a defenseman, your bread and butter is assists. Nobody's scoring. Where, where are these assists supposed to come from? He had a 56 point pace, Roman Yossi, after a 77 point year. But then you go past that 56, 58, 56, 62, 56, 77 starts to look like the sore thumb more so than like, you know, this is the new Yossi. You know what I mean? So I just, you know, Yossi will go as the team goes. So if the team is doing well, Yossi will too. You got to ask yourself, how do you feel about Nashville? And that's pretty much how Yossi's going to do. He had the one last year, he had the one crazy almost point per game situation. But other than that, he's just been solid, right? He's been a 55-ish point guy. That's that's pretty much what seems to be over the course of his career. That's his where he's probably going to be. I think that's probably his real self, considering like again, you know, it's a decade into him in the league. It's not. That's why the team's so unexciting. Is everyone's been around for ten years and not much has changed, and they've settled into this thing. He had the the one Norris freak out. Yeah, he went super saiyan last year. Three point eight shots per game. Hits were good. Blocks were good. Well, hits were okay. Blocks were good. Power play points out the window. So again, ask yourself, how do you think Nashville is going to do? And Yossi's going to kind of be parallel to that. Do you think he's still in like the top couple tiers when we're talking about it? Maybe tier two at this point. Uh, tiers are stupid. He's a top five defenseman still. I think he'll have a huge, not huge resurgence, but he'll be he'll be fine. Getting some assists on them Tulvan and PP goals. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's... I think he's still up there for sure. Let's talk about Matthias Ekholm, because uh, I feel like we kind of lumped Granlin into that boring-ish vanilla category that you know we kind of know who you are at this point. Any of these guys can provide crazy upside in like a weird, unsustainable year, but they'll be there on the waiver wire for you. So first, first come, first serve if that starts happening. Matthias Ekholm, however, defensemen are scarce. He will probably get drafted. Do you see him as like ADP value? He had a pretty stellar year last year to the point where he was like on the trade block and regarded pretty highly as being a great addition for anybody that comes out and gets him. What do you what do you think for Ekholm next year? Yeah, I don't know where any of that was coming from, really. Yeah, he put up a 40 point pace. So it was like it was good, but it wasn't as stellar as you think. Not yeah, not nearly the way people were were going crazy about him like he's he's fine i would not draft him i just just, i wouldn't i think he's useful as as a guy like if somebody's injured and you need to pick someone up to fill some games sure but he had less than a half hit a game yeah like less than a block a game Uh, his shots were up this year at 2.3 39 point pace like i like ekholm but we're talking depth depth d Yes, he might have power play two all year, but it's the Nashville power play, and they have just historically not been good over the last <laughs> five or six years. They don't even have one good power play, so let alone two. All right, Dallas, you ready? This one is maybe the most intriguing team to me. because Most of these questions, I'm just straight up like, I don't know. I don't know. Because last year their team was so strange. Rupi hints, you know, every other game he's playing and – and when he's playing, he looks like he's 150% of a hockey player. And then I guess that extra 50% digs into his next game where he can't play because he's only 50%. So, yeah. Yeah. 
what does next year actually look like for Rupi Hintz? As is he a point per game player, or is he somebody that we kind of think uh, like what is unsustainable about him? Or are you confident he repeats? I'm not confident uh, in a point per game for him. I'm not confident in that. I think he's good, I, but I put I feel like he's more of a 70 to 75 range than a point per game. You take f- you know five six days off in between each game you play. You're gonna be recharged and play well. <laughs> put him into 82 games in a row at a normal schedule. I just don't see those rate kind of thing going for a full 82 game grind. Let alone like a big part of it, like especially with him literally you know extra days off because he wasn't playing a lot of games and they weren't traveling and i know that seems again like a bit of a stretch but now it's going to be way more of a grind than they got last year not just the games but also the travel now so i think a lot of people's outrageous rate stats like that might come down a bit and it's dallas man like dallas doesn't score a ton sagan's coming back which uh it's turmoil there. It's going to be interesting. But I don't see him breaking 75 points. I'll say that. All right. So in the first 16 games of Hintz's season, he played like a cumulative damn near four minutes of ice time on the power play. He plays like 19 minutes total. So we're talking like 15 to 20% of all of his time was on the power play. And eight power play points for 15, like more than 50%, we're talking Tolvanen-like numbers, more than 50% of his points were on the power play where Hintz had an IPP of 75%, not too bad, but he shot 26% on the power play, which is a bit insane. <laughs> he had 23 shots and he had six goals. So I, I, I don't know, like he feasted on that power play. And if you think back, Dallas's power play was clicking at like 45% for the first three weeks of the season. It was insane how well they were doing on the power play. Crazy. Good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They had a a spell that shot those numbers up and, and that's what I mean. I just I just don't see him being like a, a point per game guy for a whole real season. Definitely not. Do you think uh do you think Sagan comes in and takes one C back? I, I depends what you want to call line one, because are they going to go back to the classic Ben Sagan Radulov line? Is that going to be the line again? You know, let's pretend last year didn't happen, kind of thing, and then go like hints. Pavelski Robertson is how Daily Faceoff has it lined up here, and I think like that that all makes sense. In which case, I guess. The Sagan line would be line one, but can you have a line one that has Ben and Radulov on it? Can you still call that line oh, man, one? They're so gross. <laughs> they're so gross. I don't much like those players anymore. Like Jamie Ben has just been, he fell off a cliff. I would love to see like Sagan, Robertson, Hints, and then put Pav- Give me that. Pavelski, Ben, Radulov as your second line. I think something like that would look amazing to me. Sagan and Robertson and Hints would be, that would be a nice, probably high scoring top line. Dallas is such a question mark to me. Like, I don't know how they're, I can't even project their lineup because of that, because of the Sagan factor is, is, you know, he's, he spent last year injured with a hip injury, got surgery and finally came back like towards the later end of the season and worked his way up the lineup, looked pretty good doing it. But like, what does 
what does Sagan look like in a full year after hip surgery? Yeah, Kucherov just had the same surgery and lit it up in the playoffs, but that's that's Kucherov. I got them in different tiers. And you also got to think about like Claude Giroux had a similar surgery and had an extremely down year. So like which which spe- side of the spectrum are we on with this hip surgery with Tiger Tyler Sagan? And then looking deeper into his stats, like a 50-50 power play model in Dallas does not agree with Tyler Sagan's point totals at all. I mean, the years that he was close to point per game, 80 80 point pace in 18-19, he was seeing 70% of the power play with 27 power play points. The year prior, 78 point pace, 25 power play points, 65% of the power play. 72 point pace the year before, 61% of the power play. The last two years where he put up a 59 and a, I mean, a 55 point pace in three games, whatever, but 54% of the power play, 40% of the power play time. What happens to the power play? Do they go one and two or do they go one A, one B? Because they got options. They got options, man. Like if you, (laughs) they have so many options. They've got a terrible amount of options for fans. Yanni Hockenpah. (laughs) Well, come on now. Um, They do probably kind of have to give some minutes to their second line power play, no matter how they set it up. They just have too many guys uh, to not use to. I mean, that's one of the rare situations where they actually, it's a good (laughs) Listen to us. We're, We're bitching about a team having too many good players because it fucks with our fantasy power plays. It's not cool, man. <laughs> We're fucking spoiled, spoiled brats. They do, they do have that. I mean, they have an annoying amount of, an annoying distribution of, of talent too, because what all this does, we've been talking about the top six, you have the odd man out, which is Garyanov, who is kind of exciting. and But, you know, he gets he gets the shaft and ends up with no minutes Look at these power plays on daily faceoff. You got the geezer unit with Pavelski, Ben, Radilov, Sagan, and Klingberg. And then you got like the Gen Z power play unit, except for Roddick Fox. So, you know, they got like Rupi Hintz, Jason Robertson, Miro Heiskanen, and Dennis Gurianov. You got like, you got one guy writing letters, you know, snail mail style. And then you got the other guys TikToking <laughs> on the second unit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking Snapchat. Yeah, I would kind of, I would almost reverse that, the second unit. Mix it up, just mix it up. That's all yeah. I'm saying. But it's, it's an awkward team. It's an awkward team. I mean, I think I've said it for the last two years. Like this could be a great lineup, if they all play to their potential, and then they totally don't. I I agree with you. Like I'm not. I don't have an answer. I love Jason Robertson. He, <laughs> I I love him a lot. Yeah. Um. Pretty much because in a few leagues I, I caught him early and managed to hang on to him. But yeah, I just I don't have I don't know. This is a big question mark team for me. If you were the coach, what do your power play units look like and how do you deploy them? Well, uh, I like the Sagan Robertson uh, Pavelski in front of the net because he's the king of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, maybe a poopy rupee for the top four, and then Heiskanen. Mm. I'm a firm believer in stacking a top line and stacking your power play. Like, make the most absolutely lethal top unit you can. Give yourself the best chance of scoring. But especially, 
Uh, in Dallas, they don't really have a lineup to support that. It's very easy to look at it and go, well, let's have two solid ones. But then you have two that are not quite as good. And that just doesn't make any sense to me on a power play. But they have a new coach. Are they sticking with... Um, I think it's still yeah. bonus. Whom I love, but he is not known to be an offensively forward or offensively risky guy. So that is, I love the guy in the playoffs as a coach, but talking about young, exciting players, I don't know if they're going to get what they deserve. Jason Robertson has so many primary points, which is what I love about him. Like he is, he's a play driver and I, I like that a lot. 16 primary assists to four secondary assists, 13 goals on top of that. Like so much of his offense is created by him. There's, there's so little variance. It didn't matter if the team was winning or losing. It didn't matter which line he was on, who was injured, who wasn't injured. I don't have, he was just trucking. I don't have it in front of me. and I didn't have a chance to look it up, but at one point near the end of the season, he hadn't gone on a three-game pointless skid. On a defensive Dallas who had injuries all over the place, he was just, yeah, like he said, like he was just, I don't think he had any, he never had any crazy weeks either. Like the big difference between, say, my two hot young guys, him and Tolvanen, is Tolvanen is like, he's going to get you eight goals in a week and then maybe go a month without anything. (laughs) Robertson is just like Matt Sundin. Steady uh, Eddie. Yeah, I love him, and he's. I think he's count onable, reliable. That's the word. Circle door. <laughs> uh, all right, Pavelski, man, the man who defied age-related decline. That that's got to end, right? Like that can't be. That can't be real, dude. Isn't he like thirties? He's pushing thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Yep. Yeah, he's up there. As long as they go with where he gets his points from, which is standing in front of the net, tipping in point shots, and grinding around the net, picking up rebounds, that's where all of his goals have always came from. Just go ask Brent Burns. <laughs> what happens when Pavelski's not in front of the net? Like, your points drop by 40. Um, but, yeah, like I think that is the one reason I think he's able to completely defy the age thing is because he doesn't really move to get his points. I guess that's fair. He's got a two-foot range in front of the crease, a little rainbow. And uh, so I, I don't really – like he's a guy who probably will just slowly decline at a really slow rate as opposed to just die because mm. – He's not making his living off speed. Jamie Benn style. Well, you know, Ben kind of is just a lump at this point. <laughs> yeah, remember him? <laughs> you remember that guy? Uh, I want to talk about the goalie situation because that's what it is. Um, you know, Bishop is going to start the season on long-term injured reserve. There are whispers that he's just done for the year. But they still have three goalies, the same way Carolina did last year. Do you think that they go with the three-headed goalie monster with Holtby, Hudobin, and Ottinger, or do they just give Ottinger the seasoning he needs in in the AHL? I don't know. He was no slouch last year when he when he That's played. Right. Like, yeah. why are you doing this? And I just don't. It must mean to me. It means they don't really believe in Ottinger or Kudobin's going somewhere. Obviously, Bishop's got to be out for the season. There must be something up with Kudobin, or they're going to dump him or something because like. 
That's too much goalie. And to, I, why would you... I'm assuming Ottinger is young. I haven't actually checked it out. How old is Ottinger? 1998. Yeah, he's young. So, yeah, I don't know why you would discourage him, send him back down. I'd be giving him games and, and getting Bishop and... Why the hell did you bring in Holtby? He'll get reps. He'll get some reps. I just don't think, you know, with this, they have three. So, I don't know. All right, buddy. St. Louis, last team of the last divisional preview. Kick it off with Vladimir Tarasenko, who says he doesn't want to play with St. Louis anymore. Still hasn't been traded. I guess the value isn't what they expected. Um but it seems more and more like he's he's just straight up not going to play if he doesn't get traded. So what are you doing with Tarasenko? Are you taking a flyer in the draft? I think he's been uh, value anytime he gets drafted. Yeah, I would absolutely uh, take a swing at him if everyone's... It, it's definitely something you have to watch what people are doing, right? Because... Are you drafting him like I'm drafting Vladimir Tarasenko? Or are you drafting him like, dude, might not play for 40 games or something until he finds a new home and then settle in and basically be a guy who's going to get value in the playoffs? Mm. So, yeah, I'm not risking anything to pick up Tarasenko, but if he's there in like the in the teens of the rounds, uh, I'd pick him up, absolutely. Uh but yeah, I wouldn't take him where his potential value might lie at this point. Yeah, I, uh, I've i always been kind of cold on Tarasenko. Just I don't think there's like, you know, 90-point upside. And that's what his name value has always felt like to me is there's this huge upside coming with a ton of shots and a ton of hits relative to a forward. But he's always kind of teetered around that 70-ish point mark and that's that's kind of where his ceiling has been you know going back pretty much forever like look at it i mean he had a point per game pace but that was in 10 games in 1920 that was his best year and the other other best years are 76 78 75 so he's like he's flirting with point per game he just can't get there yeah yeah i mean uh he's he's one of those guys he definitely falls into the category for me of I like him, but someone else likes him more. Like you said, his name value. Fair enough, yeah. People are always like, but the upside, and you're like, you don't ever see this magical upside from him. It's like, it's been shoulder injury after injury. Plus, he's right wing, right? So you always want, oh, the right. he's a right wing as well, and he scores. He's like, yeah, but he doesn't play ever. If we get like, if we get peak Tarasenko, wherever he winds up, like, you know, 75 points with, 275 plus shots and hits on top of it but still i mean like we're we're talking a ceiling of a hit a game there have been years where he's half hit a game you know and the hits aren't even as reliable as as he's made out to be there were two years where he was over a hit a game in his entire career so i like the ceiling it's just he's he's on probation with me you know what i mean like i need to see one full year of him doing something exciting for me to change my mind. As of right now, I got him for like 65, 70 with good shots. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can get guys like that that don't have this gigantic question mark. Is he going to start the ceiling? Or is he going to start the season? That don't have question mark of, oh my God, is he going to wind up in Buffalo? Is he going to wind up 
I mean, I'd like him in New Jersey. I think that'd be bitching. Like that's kind of where I want him to go. Um, or the Islanders. I think that'd be interesting for the whole team. It'd bring a dynamic to the, to the power play that I'd like to see. There's just so many question marks surrounding it. And I can draft guys who give me a similar ceiling who are going to play, who don't have those question marks. So I don't know where I'm at. Like, I love it as a late round flyer, but going back to what you said, I like him, but other people like him more. And I don't know if he makes it to the late rounds. Cause I think everybody's going to be in on him in the mid rounds. Yeah. He hasn't, yeah, he hasn't played a lot of hockey in quite some time at this point. <laughs> also. Yeah. He's, he's played less than half a season since 2018-19. Yeah, 34, 34 games. games. Yeah, that's a long time. Let's talk about Pavel Buchnevich, man. Is he someone to get excited about, or do you think his ceiling stayed in New York? Get excited about? Fuck, man. We spent 20 episodes talking about him last year. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get people on board, yeah, before his ownership went even to 50%. At least St. Louis was listening to our show. Um I like Buchnevich, and I think he is actually good. And I don't like to like St. Louis just because they're boring and they're St. Louis. But he is going to be playing with some solid players. They have another one of those like ambiguous kind of top sixes when you look at it. But regardless, he's going to have good line mates and probably get power play time. Yep. You got to look at him as like a direct Tarasenko replacement. Yeah, and I think either way, I would spin it as a positive. Like, if he gets to play with Tarasenko, if they, like, go out and have some drinks and hug and make up and he stays on the team, that's good for Buchnevich if he get to play with Tarasenko. But if he leaves... You get Tarasenko's spot. Yeah, I feel like that would... They would go, well, here, you can have all of his time and deployment. So I'm high on Buchnevich as I'm going to get called on it i'm sure but i think he'll stay similar to where he was in new york he might go down a point or two but i think he's going to be i think he is good i think he is good he's going to still have numbers yeah 73 point pace last year again that is an outlier inside the COVID season with you know relatively good shots and and power play points that didn't really jump off the board. He was power play two for a long time, 41% of New York's power play time. So this is another guy that we can add to the, you know, Martin Nietzsche, Zach Hyman, Carter Verhage, uh, Kasperi Kapanen, Connor Garland. Well, I forget if Connor Garland was above 50%, but there, there's a healthy portion of people that, you know, saw power play two time and still put up stellar stats. And I do think that Buchnevich is going to be a power play one option here in St. Louis, but ask Tori Krug, does that really do much for you being power play one in St. Louis? I uh, didn't do much for Toyer Krug. It pretty much ruined his career, <laughs> but no, I just feel like Buchnevich is good. Uh, he's, Last year wasn't really an outlier to me. It was his best season, rates-wise and numbers-wise, actually. His pace went up almost 20 points. Yeah, and his minutes went up two minutes a game, and that's huge. So did his shooting percentage went up a hundred and over 150%. Well, he's doing the he's doing the thing. Like the year before that, he was over 17. 
<laughs> oh, he's one of those guys. And then the year he? before that, he was ten. And the year before that, he was fifteen. So he's he's on he's one of those on guys. again, off again percentage. But he's always got goals. He's always got a respectable amount of goals given his time on ice. Like his his goals per sixty are solid and have gone up and up. So now he is going to be leaned into a little bit when Tarasenko leaves as as a okay, buddy. Like. He wasn't the main guy or even the secondary. He was the, he was tertiary third or fourth scorer in in New York. I think they're going to look at him as being more like number two or three or maybe even number one in in St. Louis. So I don't know if I'm going that rich, but yeah, I do. I do like I like him in St. Louis. Don't love it. I loved him in New York. Braden Shen, man, banger extraordinaire. Kind of a down year from him. What what's going on there? Like he's still solid in banger leagues because he brings so much to the table. But what's the point ceiling here? Which is has always been his kind of his selling point as as a top end uh, fantasy owner is like the seventy point pace with great shots, good hits, dual eligible most of the time. Sometimes even try eligible if I'm thinking right. Face off wins like he's doing he's doing quite a bit. Um. 53-point pace this year with shots that went down at Tad. And, uh, yeah, man, like, what's your pulse here? Uh, he is a man crush of mine, always has been a fantasy man crush. For all the reasons yeah. you said, like, he's he's not flashy. He's usually av- available definitely in categories leagues or, like, banger heavy leagues. Um, gets you good goals, good assists, power play time. Great hits for a forward like that. Uh, consistent. St. Louis just really did not click this year. Yeah, the COVID year, man. So like another check in the box of COVID casualty, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know what you'd chalk it up to, but whatever bit Tory Krug also got him a little bit, I think. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd put a maybe 60 to 65 point range for next year with... You know, awesome hits and and decent blocks. Who do you think has the the highest upside on this team? Because I'm looking at it, it's a bunch of like you know pretty good guys, but there's nothing that's that's jumping off the page. I mean, Brandon Saad, I don't I don't know what's up with him, but just he he always gets attention. But he like has he ever broken a 50 point pace? I can't even I can't even remember. If you were drafting just St. Louis players, who's the first guy? For me, it's between Perron and Ryan O'Reilly not counting goalies. It's another team I tend to stay away from. I'm I'm usually Braden Shen if I'm going to take someone from St. Louis just cuz you kind of know what you're getting. O'Reilly in a in a face-offs league. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. That's his calling card, right? Yeah, he's great there. Perron, I f- just hate him. I just fucking hate him. But <laughs> he does so well though. Like he, he's good. he was I think he, he led the team in points last year and yeah, he's good. he doesn't get any respect, which is brutal. No, he shoots good. No, he was he was over point per game. So <laughs> eighty five point pace. Wow. Look at this guy go. Yeah, shooting what two thirty three years old. Two point seven a year or a game. He's another one. Like even this year, this past year, when you watch him play, he does not look like he's, you know, in getting into his thirties. He looks like a strong young yeah. player. I just hate him. I hate yeah, his face. I hate the way. He, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. No good reason. I'm between him, him and R O R. Like, you know, I'd probably go for Perron. 
uh, just because of that point ceiling. But I guess Ryan O'Reilly has it too. It's just, you know, take your pick. This is like a Montreal on steroids. Like they have a lot of really good players, but the the point ceiling on everybody is is a little bit higher. I tried to let go of my bias for Robert Thomas just to like try and sell him for a breakout. And the only thing I could come up with is, yeah, maybe he gets the top line right wing spot, but looking at their right wing depth of Peron and Buchnevich and Kiru even like they, there's just, there's not room there for me. So again, I am off the Rob Thomas breakout train. Thank you. I was on it. I was on it three years ago. The past two years I've been off it. It's uh yeah, it's not going to happen. I don't like him. I don't think he'll ever break out, but I tried to look into it and I just couldn't find anything. There's no shot volume there at all. And you know, his time on ice is probably not going up just because I don't see a, a path to a top six spot from him, man. Like, uh, he's done. It sounds like you agree with me. So we can't really have like a devil's advocate here, but I would say he's done, but I, he's, he's never done anything. Like we all have wanted him to, he looked like he might, but he just hasn't done anything. It's another lineup he, where he's not going to break <laughs> out in. He had under a shot a game this year. <laughs> 22 shots in 33 games. Oh, all right then. He's bad at faceoffs. He doesn't shoot. He's on a defensive-minded team. Mm. <laughs> I'm off. I'm off. All right, so Jordan Bennington, is he one of like the few workhorses left? Once again, I'm going to use Matt Murray and Andre Vasilevsky in the same sentence. But they strike me as two workhorses. There's Hellebuck. There's Markstrom. We talked about Leonard, possibly Darcy Kemper. But I think you're right that it, it isn't maybe a workhorse type thing. John Gibson is Jordan Bennington fit in amongst these workhorses with uh, who is it? Billy Huso behind it. In the legend of Bennington, uh, the only reason he got called up in the first place is because Huso was injured, been the starter ever since. Yeah, Bennington uh, definitely going to get a lot of games. Uh, I de- they will be trying out Huso. I don't know if they'll be trading to to add some depth to that, but. Bennington going to get some wins by default, just being on uh, St. Louis. I don't really love him. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't want him. I'm not going to actively try to get Bennington. Um, however, most people are kind of seem to be in that same boat. Uh, if you count bulk saves, if you count wins, I think he has quite a bit of value. I uh, played 42 games last year out of the 56, so that was a heavy workload uh, as it was, and I think it's only going to get more. Yeah, man. I, I think volume leagues is where where most of his most of his value comes in. Yeah, exactly. Do you think Do you think St. Louis had? I think this year was misrepresentative uh, for them just because of the COVID divisions. That I think that they do do better because I I don't think that they were as good a team this year as they should have been. And I think it is on the division. Like Minnesota looked good against them. I think, I mean, Anthony Stolarz won two games against them uh, from Anaheim. Like, I, I just don't think that this was representative of St. Louis. I think they're a better team than they showed us. I agree. I think you'll see more from a few guys who had the terrible down seasons. I think you're going to see more from Shen. I think you're going to see a, a bit more from Krug, like definitely not less. So I think overall, yeah, they're going to win some more games, uh, which will be good for Bennington. 
I don't know if he'll ever be the Bennington of his rookie season where he just, mm. you know, was the glorious, se- uh, you know, half season and, and playoff run. But I think he's he's he and the team are you know, not amazingly better, but a good 10 percent better than we saw this year. I'm looking at Tory Krug right now. Fifty one point pace. It's not as bad, but like we kind of called it. You're going from the perfection line in Boston on the power play to St. Louis, who they're not a power play work. They're not like a powerhouse for the power play. Boston is. There's a ton of triggers there. You know, St. Louis, they have triggers, but they're not as big. And the power play share isn't even close to the same, I don't think. Like 65%. Yeah, I guess his power play share didn't go down too much, but it's just not the same dynamic. Not even close. Power play in St. Louis is is going to be a bit tricky. I mean, the way that Daily Faceoff has it drawn up right now, actually, uh, Buchnevich doesn't get top PP, and he is on the worst looking PP too. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's pretty. I mean, I like Kirill. Justin I like Falk Kir- had he had his uh, he had his moments, and Clem Costin is not so bad of a prospect there. Being centered by the guy who you just gave up on, so I don't. That's the big difference between uh, line one and line two there for sure. This is also uh, banking on Pareko splitting top power play. I know he just signed. I think it was six point five for eight years or something, but I don't know if he's a power play guy. And more likely, maybe see Buchnevich take his spot or Krug's so. spot, whoever's not. Anyway, man, that's it for divisional previews. You ready to curtains it? Yeah, I think so. This, to me, the teams we talked about, this division is fucking boring to me. I thought this one was all right. Like, I like Winnipeg. Yeah, they're not exciting. But, it, you know, it some vanilla teams in here. A lot of solid, good, good old hockey teams in there. Good floors is what we talked about today. Good floors. But anyway, that's it. We are Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. Again, you can find us on Twitter at FHF Hockey. Check out our Discord. Get in on listener leagues if you're down. And uh, hit us up if you want to get in on those mocks Sunday and Monday. Uh, just shoot us a DM on Twitter. Shoot me a DM. I am TJ in the uh, in the old Discord. But anyway, we'll, we'll catch you next episode. We got two coming out pretty quick. We got those mock draft episodes, which should be on YouTube. I mean, barring any technical difficulties, but we're going to iron all those kinks out, I think, and uh, check it out. Uh, they'll, they'll be on YouTube, including the technical difficulties. <laughs> okay. All right. So again, we have a, we have a pretty solid floor. It's just a questionable ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's it for us, guys. We love you. Love you.